Welcome, I'm Olivia Hall, and this is Reprint, your in-depth look at stories you need to know from the Temple News' print edition. On today's episode, we will talk with the Temple News' sports team to discuss all things Temple basketball from coaching, predictions, and standout players. But first, we speak with Temple News' opinion editor Sarah Frasca and assistant opinion editor Molly Fesk about how abortion and public safety laws can be changed depending on what gubernatorial and Senate candidates get elected. Hello, Molly. Hello, Sarah. Thank you both for joining me. Olivia, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. To start, could you both give a short summary about your pieces? Yeah, sure. So I wrote about um, the gubernatorial race or election that's taking place um, on election day and uh, abort the, sorry, (laughs) the candidate's views on abortion. Yeah, so my column is about um, looking at Republican Oz and then Democrat John Fetterman and just kind of looking at their views that kind of differ between, um, you know, gun control and public safety and just kind of their differing views on that. So let's get into it. Let's speak about uh, Sarah's article first. So what are Shapiro's views on abortion compared to Mastriano? Yeah, so Josh Shapiro, he is the Democratic candidate, and he has a very, uh, he wants to protect abortion rights and um, expand access to them. So his views pretty much follow after Tom Wolf's, the current governor's views, and he plans to follow his lead. While on the other hand, Doug Mastriano um, entirely opposes abortion rights. He recently, or he used to say that he wanted to completely ban them. He's been a little more lax on it recently, but yeah. And what are the cur- the current abortion regulations in Pennsylvania? Yeah, so Pennsylvania wasn't affected when Roe versus Wade was overturned, um, that Dobbs decision, because uh, they didn't have any trigger laws in place, which some places did. So right now, pe- providers can still perform abortions up to about 24 weeks into pregnancy, but most procedures do happen before about 12 weeks. There are some restrictions in place, but Pennsylvania is generally a better Uh, like has accessibility to abortion for patients. And now, can you go more in depth about how each candidate would handle abortions in Pennsylvania? Yeah, of course. So Shapiro, um, like I said, he's going to be following after the current governor, Tom Wolf's lead. So what Wolf has done so far and when, or actually, let me preface this a little bit better. So the governor has the ability to either sign a bill from the General Assembly into law or veto, veto a bill. So What Tom Wolf has been doing is he's been vetoing every anti-abortion bill that is passed through Pennsylvania's General Assembly, which is actually dominated by Republican lawmakers at the moment. So anti-abortion bills have been passed through the General Assembly um, relatively often. um, I mean, at least a few times in the past years or so. And um, Shapiro has vowed to basically follow exactly what um, Wolf is doing and continue making sure that abortion is still accessible in Pennsylvania. On the other hand, Mastriano is actually one of the lawmakers that has tried to push um, anti-abortion bills through the General Assembly into the governor that Wolf ended up vetoing. So he actually tried to pass the heartbeat bill, which some people might be familiar with. It's relatively um well-known, and that would cut off abortion about six weeks into pregnancy when you can hear a fetal heartbeat, which 
um, a fetal heartbeat is actually, uh, what's it called? Um, it's not a true heartbeat, it's um, created by a machine. So he also tried, he's also voted for multiple anti-abortion bills in his position as a state senator. Um, yeah, so if he was in position of governor, he's very likely to sign anti-abortion bills into law, while um, Shapiro would most likely make sure that that doesn't happen, at least according to their current stances. And just to go a little bit more into detail about Mastriano, he, um, so Mastriano um, has stated multiple times that, or at least once, he stated that there's no greater issue in our generation than a right to life. He has referred to abortion, um, as I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the exact quote, but he's had used words uh, like murderous and stuff like that, basically um, really instilling that he's very much anti-abortion. Going over to Molly, so what are Fetterman's views on public safety versus Oz? Yeah, so Fetterman has been chair of the Board of Pardons since 2019 when he was elected as lieutenant governor. And while he was on the board, um, they increased and recommended a lot more inmates for clemency and release than in past years. And Fetterman's belief is that if um, a criminal is in prison and has a clean record while in prison, didn't commit any type of murder that landed them in prison, they should be kind of at home living out their lives um, because obviously the prison system has worked, they've been reformed. So they shouldn't have to live out these incredibly long sentences, which also then clogs up um, like pretty much just like the incarceration system. So that's something that Fetterman is, you know, incredibly well-versed in. And then uh, Fetterman is also pretty, taken on like a pretty generic democratic stance of, um, you know, ending filibuster, passing gun, passing common sense gun laws, which is basically just um, rules such as uh, just like background checking every gun seller transfer. And then any possession of firearms that is undetectable by airport level detection would also be banned as well. So just kind of taking more of like a generic stance on gun control um, and like a democratic sense. Well, Oz has kind of has kind of proposed more unconventional un, um, kind of like gun control measures. So that would be uh, having, you know, increased kind of like mental health and um, kind of like funding for schools to keep kids in schools instead of um, essentially off the streets is kind of what Oz was saying. But um, Oz is also a firm believer in protecting Second Amendment rights as well. So, you know, just kind of focusing more on the mental health issue of it instead of just banning uh, guns in general. And what are each candidate's proposals for the future of Pennsylvania's public safety laws? Yeah, so kind of similar with um, what I was saying before, I do believe that, you know, John Fetterman would want to extend that kind of board of pardons way of, you know, delegation in his role as a senator. So increasing the amount of kind of like incarcerated criminals that are then kind of given clemency and able to kind of remove themselves from prison um, with perfect records and, um, you know, non-murder charges. So I do believe that that is something that he wants to bring into um, his elected role if he is elected for, for senator. And then kind of for Oz as well, continuing that 
um, Second Amendment rights protection and then protecting guns from, um, you know, buyback laws. So that would be kind of a proposed laws by by mostly Democrats to essentially buy back, um, you know, assault assault rifles, different types of guns um, instead of letting them kind of be traded and uh, sold independently. So that's something that Oz definitely does kind of have like a defense on. So I definitely would see Oz being more defensive if elected while Fetterman would be more proactive if elected. So I think that's a way for, um, you know, many of us to look at it and determining who we want to vote for um, is, you know, Oz is a little bit more on the protection side while Fetterman is more on the let's create these laws to end this kind of side of things. Now, let us go in-depth into the Temple News' basketball preview. It is basketball season here at Temple University. We are starting off the 2022-23 men's and women's basketball season by talking to our Temple News sports team, Nick Gangweir, Javon Edmonds, and Samuel O'Neill about their thoughts and predictions for the upcoming season. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here again today. So let's just get into it. How confident are you all in Temple's basketball teams this year? Well, after last night, <laughs> um, I, listen, I know me and Sam have had some good conversation over the past 12 hours. Um, I was told last week to be a little, little more critical of some coaching staffs and less of some players. My fault. Two weeks ago, uh, I got everybody to be critical of today. Since we've got time, let's dive into it. Um, the women's team filled with transfers, new coaching staff. Don't expect much from them. They actually performed better than they were supposed to against Princeton yesterday. But these men, um, Hasir Miller, Sam, Nick, y'all know basketball, 38 minutes and you take two shots. Um, I could have swore there was a point guard in this city not too long ago who got ran out of town and got shipped to Brooklyn because of a stat line like that. Um, Jalil White, star player. Um, it's supposed to be all this, oh, do everything you can to retain him and not lose him to the NIL and the transfer portal. 18 minutes, two shot attempts. Uh, Zach Hicks, rough night for a shooter. I expect him to bounce back. You had a guy in Damian Dunn go 18 for 18 from the free throw line, and you still lost. Um, Caleb Battle did not have the ball in his hands enough last night. And Sam, you were at that press conference. He looked like a happy guy all night at that press conference. And I'll tell you exactly why he looked happy because he's got all the fuel he needs now to go to his teammates and that coaching staff and say, Hey, forget all this phase me out stuff. Y'all want to do. I'm the best player on this team. And I need the ball in my hands in the last couple minutes of the game. Um, I'm simply as a basketball guy who has been talking to these guys all preseason, Damian Dunn labeled the team as tournament or bust and everybody else hopped on that bandwagon and they lost to Wagner at home on opening night. So you ask me my faith right now, um, it's not looking high. You lose to Wagner, how am I supposed to think you're going to beat the Villanova, uh, the 16th best team in the country, even if they're hurt? How am I supposed to think you're going to beat Rutgers in a neutral site? Uh, when I look at what the team did against Clemson and Boise State in the Charleston Classic last year, which is dropping egg, how am I supposed to expect you to perform any different against St. John's and either Richmond or Syracuse in the Empire Classic this year? So with the women, 
rebuilding year, they get a pass. But the men, disappointed, disgusted, not much faith at the moment. Maybe I'll change my mind on Friday. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say like um, the committee meets in March, not not November. And it was a bad loss, but I mean, there's still time to, to, to stack the resume. I mean, like, I'll say the best way to get over an improbable loss is to pull off an improbable win on Friday. If they beat Nova, I mean, a lot of people are gonna have a short memory about you know last night. Um, but it's pretty unacceptable. I mean, they were 15 and a half point favorites. Um, the last time they lost a game when they were favored that much was like 2013, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I it going heading into the year was supposed to it was hyped up like you said. Damian Dunn said that it was turn, tournament or bust this year and. It's hard to get people to buy into that when you're losing games to Wagner at home. Um, but if if they pull off four four in a row, then the next four games, if they beat St. John's and Rutgers and they somehow knock off Nova, then people are going to forget about it quickly. Sam, I appreciate your optimism. Um, but if it's November 8th and you're already talking about you have to root for Wagner for the rest of the season, come on. That, that, come on, that position you're in. There's nothing positive to take away whatsoever. This is coming from the man who had Temple predicted to finish with the best record out of us three. So, Exactly. All right. We'll get more into predictions later. But going off of what you guys wrote like in the preview, so what is Diane, Diane Richardson's coaching background and how is she looking to shake up the women's basketball team? Yeah, I think that – Coming into this season, Diane Richardson brings a pretty solid resume that's from Towson. Um, she was the founder and COO of American Security Corporation. Um, she has a business background, and she's all about tangible solutions. And I think coming into Temple, she wants to see tangible solutions out of this team. She wants them shooting 46% from three, which they did not do against Princeton. But she has some set goals for this team, and I think that her resume with Towson shows that she's able to get things done. Once she has her players, once she has her momentum, I think that this team can actually do something later down the line. I'll say about, you know, Diane, everywhere she's been in her life, basketball-wise, not basketball-wise, she's been a winner. She succeeded. She succeeded in the, you know, the business world. She succeeded at Towson. She succeeded at the high school level when she was a coach. I think it's only a matter of time until she succeeds at Temple, too. I mean, obviously, it's going to take a bit, you know, to get – the team at a point where she wants it to be. Uh, it's hard to come in year one and then just, you know, take the the conference by storm. But I think it's only a matter of time before we see Diane kind of really get this team back to where it needs to be. Yeah, like I said, they went up uh, across the river to the 24th best team in the country yesterday and and really competed with Princeton. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to what this women's team can produce. And Aaron McKee, is he trying to do anything different with this year's men's basketball team? Well, I think he's... Tournament? <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, let's, Nick, let's be honest. Because, like, we, we find ourselves not being critical enough of these programs. And I know Aaron's a Temple legend and all this good jazz. But, like, Booster's talk, he's, he's got to win this year or else, like, you got to get somebody else in there. This is... This team on paper is a top three roster in the American Athletic Conference. Easy. And you've been talking, Nick, you wrote the story, McKee's team. Like, you finally got your group of guys. There's no excuse. So, like, there's only one thing that he should be trying to do different with this year's team, and that's go dancing in March. Anything else, 
I mean, Dame Dunn has said it. It's a complete failure. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's his fourth season as head coach. He finally has all of his players, all of his coaches. He has his guys, and he has his culture being implemented. I think there is no excuse for Aaron McKee and this team not to reach the big dance in March. All right, so what are your men's basketball predictions for this season? What are your season record, lineup, and final game predictions? Uh, I'll, go, I'll go first. So we already had these in the paper, but obviously I think they're all changed now after um, a surprising opening night loss. I'm going to say they win a game in the in the tournament, the, the conference tournament. Um, I think they get to the second round of it, and I think they lose there. And it's just going to depend on what their, their at-large resume is in terms of the NCAA tournament. I'm not really going to make any predictions about that at this point because who knows what the next few weeks are going to look like. But in terms of their conference results. I think they'll I think they'll be in the in the semifinals for the conference. I just I think that's where it probably ends. I still think that they have the chance to make the conference final, not because they're looking like an elite team right now, or that maybe they could, but I'm looking at the rest of the conference and I'm not seeing teams that can compete at a super high caliber. I mean, outside of top ranked Houston, I really don't think teams like Cincinnati, Tulane, Memphis while they're very good and while they could be better than Temple, I think Temple has the opportunity to be better than all three. Um, and and I'm, uh, UCF lost to UNC Astro last night, Javon. So Temple wasn't yeah, the yeah. only American team. But... No, that's where I was going with it. I was going to take the first half in Nick's sentence and change up the teams. Luckily for Temple, they are far from the only team in the country that have a bad loss last night. There are two conference foes down there in Florida, Central Florida and South Florida. Both had some bad losses last night. Florida State, a perennial tournament team, bad loss. Oklahoma, bad loss. Rhode Island. USC, and, uh, USC bad loss. Uh, Rhode Island, a former conference rival Temple, bad loss. So this is why I put out the tweet last night, and a few people appreciated it. Uh, helped them sleep better. <laughs> no committee meets in November. They meet in March. A lot can change. Um, however, when you lose to Wagner, I got to change up my 24 and 7 prediction. Um, <laughs> like, I'm I'm more on Nick's side of 21 and 10. No, I'm on Sam's side of 20 and 11 at this point. Conference tournament, um, I still think Temple is a better team than Cincinnati. They proved it last season. Uh, Houston's a better team. And Temple and Tulane haven't proven to each other who's the better one yet. So I still think smart money says take Temple to make a semifinal of the conference tournament. But, man, this non-conference, they've got to do a lot if they're going to have double-digit losses, including Wagner, to make an NCAA tournament. So I'm just going to stave off on it right now. I'm not going to double down, but I'm also not going to make myself look like a fool a few months down the line by jumping off the bandwagon right now. I'm just going to decline to comment on NCAA tournament status. That's taking the easy way out. Yeah, listen, I'm, I normally don't. I can get once a year, right? <laughs> all right and lastly you already brought up monday's game so i guess does anyone have any final thoughts about the men's and women's basketball team from monday's game any standout moments or just anything to wrap this up i think that aaron mckee preaches this all-in mentality and it did not seem like the team was all in last night i really don't think that this team bought has fully bought in 
uh, chemistry-wise. I really think that they're going to have to put stuff together. They're going to have to put in work and practice, and they got to play as a cohesive unit, know who your scorers are, know when to shoot the ball. I really think that they were a little bit all over the place, especially in that overtime. And Nick, I'll you bring up like, a good point. Yeah, go ahead, Javon. Yeah, Nick, you bring up a good point. When you really look up and down that roster, there's more guys who have more to benefit from being selfish this season than there are guys who have more to benefit by focusing on team-oriented success. Caleb Battle, looking for the lead. Damian Dunn, he's got a kid on the way. He's got a chance to transfer out eventually and possibly get a big NIL deal elsewhere. Uh, Zach Hicks, Jalil White, Isaiah Miller, the same thing. Like, the only ones who actually have something on the line right now, Nick Jordan's fighting for a spot to stay at a high or mid-major school. And then Jamil Reynolds and Shane Dizoni are stuck at Temple because they're transfers. They can't transfer out again without sitting a year. So you compare a roster of, what's the rotation? Probably 10, 11 guys who are actually going to play. Out of 10, 11 guys, only three of them have real incentive to make sure the team is better than themselves individually. It takes a strong coaching staff to get them all to buy in and be all in as a team. So I think that is a very interesting aspect of this team to look out for. And a loss last night, I'll tell you, they cost themselves some ticket sales against Villanova. Like, you needed a packed house. A loss to Wagner is not influencing today's Temple student body to come out Friday because we know we're in that age group. We are around these people every day on campus. We know they are the most wishy-washy fans out of all six City Six fan bases right now. Thank you so much to our reporters, Molly, Sarah, Devon, Nick, and Samuel, for joining us. You can find the articles in yesterday's print issue of The Temple News and on our online site at temple-news.com. Be sure to check out the podcast on Spotify and The Temple News website. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Olivia Hall, podcast editor for The Temple News, and see you next time on Reprint.